How's it going, everyone? Uh, welcome back to the Pathfinder Podcast. I'm your host, Demetrius. This is a special episode because this is the first episode that I'm actually recording live. And I'm recording it with an awesome and special person. I'm here with uh, Pastor uh, Ashley Jennings. Jennings. Yeah. Jennings. Madewell. Um, Madewell. Yeah. Does, like, I don't know. Like the clothing store? Yes, but spelled store. different. It is. M-A-Y-D-W-E-L-L. Oh. oh, okay, okay, okay. But I'm here with Pastor Ashley. She's a local pastor here in Houston. Uh, she pastors at the um, at Canvas Church. It's it's inside of the, um, what's the, it's, uh, the name of the actual Episcopal Church? So it's actually a Lutheran church. Lu- oh, okay. um, yeah, Kindred Lutheran. Um, which is in Wa or off of Wa in the Montrose area, and we have like a really sweet relationship with them. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of shared values and um, priorities, and I have a really fun working relationship with their pastor, whose name is also Ashley. It's very confusing. <laughs> um, and we're both tattooed and have piercings with curly hair so like it legitimately is very confusing for everybody yeah um no but we're in montrose and we are housed um out of kindred lutheran we meet in the mornings at 11 and they meet in the evenings yeah it's it's it was so i was uh going to your uh uh, faith community and the gatherings for a while mm-hmm. and then of course since I'm trash and inconsistent <laughs> I just uh, stopped showing up because I'm just an idiot but no that's but, not true but um yeah I going to that community actually um really did a lot of work on on mm. me personally internally mm-hmm. um in a, in a lot of ways and I think it's just I, I wanted to interview you because I think what you're doing um, is something just very unique here in, in Houston and stuff like that. And just bringing, mm. just, just showing people like a, kind of like a, a alternative, like Christianity, mm-hmm. which is a big, I, I guess you could say like a, like a big, uh, uh, part of my, um, project in, yeah. in a way with this podcast. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I just love what you did. Like the way that you. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you said still resonates with me. You are literally the only pastor, like, I've, whose church I've attended that actually, like, had something to say about gun violence, Mm. which is a big Mm -hmm. topic to me. I've spoken about it multiple times Mm -hmm. on my podcast. Yeah. First episode, I did an in-depth dive of just all of the, all the nonsense with it, and so... I mean, you address flat out racial reconciliation and mm. other churches have done that. But it's like the way that they do it is like, hey, everybody, let's make friends. <laughs> and it's like, I get that. But there's more to it than that. You that's know, not, that's, that's, that's not, not the extent of it. That's not. No. That's not how. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That's not. I don't think that's going to solve the issues here. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to have you on just to talk about, you know, your experiences and um, where you see like the local church here in Houston uh, mm-hmm. going, as y'all, I'm sure y'all can hear it's uh, raining. So hopefully this adds a 
like a cool little ambiance. Is that yes, yes. <laughs> this is like this is how this is how Pastor Ashley is going to be dropping truth. Like, oh Lord, in the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, without the visual, it sounds very like soothing and yeah. whatever. But literally, it looks like it's nighttime right now, and yeah. it's it's nine thirty in the in morning. morning. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so for the first question, I want to ask is you know. Um, can you just talk about like your background and how you came to do the work that you do today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I didn't think that I would be doing this work. I'll preface it with that. Um, in a in a former life, I um, was a professional musician, and um, not just that, but a classical musician. So, like, wow. particularly nerdy. Um, my undergrad is in bassoon performance and um ultimately what happened is just through some of my own story um and through my own experiences of of uh trauma um i kind of started on this journey of the ways that the arts and spirituality together can really provide a, a depth of healing wow. um, in the face of suffering and trauma, addiction. Um, and so a number of years after I completed my undergrad, I actually went to seminary um, yeah. because I had found a program that offered a focus on recovery ministry. Yeah. So that covered trauma, addiction, and abuse. Um, and really what brought me there is I, I've had this um, this dream and hope of um, kind of creating a space that really facilitates and, and nurtures these experiences of, um, of healing and of kind of entering into our trauma narratives or entering into these stories of pain um, while utilizing the arts, exposure to the arts, and incorporating the arts, and storytelling, and, um, and, you know, when we experience really significant harm or pain, like, that's really also a very existential thing, yeah. you know, like, yeah. why is this happening, who yeah. am I, where, where was God, what does God have to say about this, and so, um, it's not just the, the avenue of, like, the arts, but also, like, spirituality. Um, and so that brought me to seminary and then through some other really painful things, um, I ended up, uh, I thought I was gonna like go the route of nonprofit, um, maybe like ministry, uh -huh. parachurch kind of stuff. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and basically long story short, I had a friend who was connected to Canvas Church, Houston, and, um... She'd been telling me about it probably like six, nine months. And I, all throughout seminary, I always had this attitude of like, okay, you guys are the pastors and I'm just the person who loves people who are too afraid to step into your church. Um, and after months of this friend mentioning, um, uh, there was one day where I kind of came to her and honestly was just complaining <laughs> and, and was just like, I don't know what's happening in my life and I don't know what to do. And she was like, I mean, okay, we're, we're still looking for a pastor. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine. Just tell me about it. And, um, learned more about Canvas and they were very much birthed out of this, um, 
real deep passion for the arts and they wanted someone who could pair those things the arts and spirituality and um, wanted someone who was really interested in pastoral care and I was like oh hey <laughs> okay and so that's that's what has brought me specifically to canvas but you know over the past couple of years of being there I in of continuing my own journey and in my understanding of myself and how I how I understand what God's kingdom work is and looks like um, and the ways that I can participate in that um, you know I, I see that work specifically at canvas and outside those walls wow that's great that's I was kind of expecting for like the typical like I felt the calling <laughs> no <laughs> no was the exact opposite no <laughs> like <laughs> I I'll say this on the front end to make it clear but like I love people, right? I love, I love the person of Jesus. Um, some of the people that piss me off the most and that I have the smallest stomach for are like, are Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in the church. Yeah. So I feel, like I sound very confusing. I'm a pastor and sometimes I don't like Christians. Commonplace, you know. It is. It is. I think, uh, especially in this this like era of the American church, I think that that's more common. Yeah, I think I think that's the number one reason, and not to cut you off, but no, because a lot of people have this. Like some ministries have this thing of like when they talk about millennial Christians, which I hate. I hate. I hate <laughs> the generational labels sure. and stereotypes. I despise it. I really do. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time when they say millennial Christians, they just mean like white middle class. There right. is no middle class, but right, white right. middle class millennials. They're yeah. not talking about anybody else. So right yeah. off the bat, it's already just not inclusive and silly. But mm. there's this there's there's this thing of like oh the reason that this younger generation isn't really rocking with the church and there's the nuns the category sure. of the nuns mm -hmm. is because there are all these philosophies and worldviews and ideologies that are counter christ which are true <coughs> these things are true yeah but it's not that bro it's that really it's the racism it's mm. the the racism the misogyny mm. the, the uh the nationalism and yes. all that other stuff yes it's, it's really the politics and my generation is very politically engaged especially right now mm -hmm. there's a lot of divisions and fractions going on but you know so that's 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 just yes. my thing like it's just it's just so yeah, <laughs> it's just dumb um but so for one of my first questions is and you kind of answered this already mm -hmm. what what like so you already talked about like the space that integrates like Trump, like mm -hmm. healing and spirituality with mm -hmm. the arts. Is that is that is that the whole of like your your sort of theological project? Do you have a specific theological project? And what mm -hmm. I what I mean by that is what what are you specifically trying to show people sure. about Jesus, about the scriptures? Mm -hmm. Um from yeah, what are, what are you specifically trying to, trying to show people like 
what expression of Christianity, if, if you have any, are you specifically trying to sh show people? Because I do think that a lot of ministers and theologians do have a particular right. like, theological like project. Right. Good question. Um, I think one of my aims in any kind of teaching that I do, if we're talking specifically about, like, me having a theological message I think one of my greatest joys and I, I say this with humility I think something that I happen to do well is <clears throat> to speak in a way that shows that this ancient text that has so often been used to kind of like beat and bruise and shame us into a, a form of like behavior modification or something like that that actually there is this this text that can still be very beautiful and life-giving and healing um and relevant to us as people thousands of years later and that's not to say that um every single word of the bible is accurate you you and i were just talking about yeah. um infallibility versus inerrancy um it's not that we have to take every text literally um but my, my hope is that we can talk and refer to a text like the bible and that there's room for it to speak to our kind of like timeless humanity there's something that i tell um people at canvas often that when we read scripture it is most life-giving if we read it as um, a descriptive text rather than a prescriptive text if we take what we're reading um and it is prescriptive, it is a list of rules, and it is uh, confining, and we have to do this, and this, and this, and if we don't do it, we're wrong, and we're bad. That's not what it is? That's not what it is! <laughs> That's not what it is? No, to me, it give, if we approach it from the lens of it being simply a descriptive text, it gives so much room to us um, witnessing... A number of things it's it's just a conglomeration of people describing what it is to be human and what it is to be broken and what it is for us to to attempt to describe God and what it is for us to um, portray you know reconciliation and wholeness between each other and humanity to the cosmos and humanity to God and brokenness in all of those areas and so when we make it less um, prescriptive, I feel like there just there's room to breathe. Um, there's a lot of liberation in that. So, anyways, um, if there is one theological like hope that I have, it, it is that we would be able. I mean, there are so many different things. It's a a desire for us to make the language of of the church more relevant than what 
I think a lot of us feel that it is at this point. Um, and B, for us to like, and this doesn't have to do with like interpreting scripture, but just freaking learning how to have conversations with people who are different than us um, in a way that respects each other's humanity and leaves room for us to have difference of opinion. That we don't have to be uniform, we can be united we can be, there can be relationship, but we don't all have to believe and think and do exactly the same way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, maybe just branching like two things off of that. Sure. I think the first one, when you're talking about make uh, helping people to understand that, that scripture speaks to, um, you know, the, the, the sort of universal, like, mm-hmm you know commonalities between sure. human beings man that's a big feat because yeah. because you know modern uh, from what i've seen modern people have a bias against ancient things sure and i think it's always been that way like we have i forgot sure. what c.s lewis calls it chronological snobbery mm. that if something's new <clears throat> um if something's new or if something is modern or contemporary, you know, whatever right. point in time, it's better than what came right. hundreds of years before, which is just, I, I, I don't, I don't see how you can live that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see how you can like, you know, go, like, I don't even see how you could read anything. Right. Like, well, it's like the manifestation of it might look different, but the core issue is like, uh-huh. we're still hella prideful like (laughs) we're still we still want control over everything we still want like that stuff is timeless but you know maybe now there's a a different it looks different it's it's manifested differently like like even even if i because like let's say i go to a bookstore i want to read a book Mm -hmm. and it's something older like is it and it's communicating it's talking about certain issues not even the bible not Mm -hmm, even mm -hmm. just a piece of literature sure you know, like right now, I'm reading uh, the Blue Eye by Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. This is a book written yeah. in the '70s. Yeah, fantastic book. Yeah, talks about issues of gender, race, right. class. Okay, am I supposed to like throw that out because it was written in the '70s? Mm-mm. You know, like it, it just I don't I don't I don't see how someone can how how you can really um, be a full human being mm-hmm. and not engage with things that came before you and mm-hmm. not try to find the validity in it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's awesome that you're doing that. And then the, the, the second, the, the second thing I want to ask, Oh my God, I, you were talking about, um, uh, rele- you were talking about relevancy mm-hmm. and I was going to ask, so how do you, because I kind of struggle with relevancy. Because, mm-hmm. like, how do you balance, like, tr- like truthfulness mm-hmm. with trying to be relevant? Because I do think a lot of the church's problem sometimes is trying to be cooler and hipper than what it actually is. <laughs> sure. There's literally a magazine called Relevant Magazine. <laughs> right. Yo, I had that when I was a kid. 12-year-old me read Relevant. It's dead-ass called Relevant. <laughs> no. It's, all, it's really called Relevant. And, uh, yeah. and so it seems to me like this, this, the church has this sort of weird, like, fascination with 
we're gonna we're gonna take this ancient spirituality and then we're gonna glare over it with like Justin Bieber and Hill and Hillsong sure. and Free, which Hillsong and, and a free? smoke machine, Listen, smoke yeah, and a lot like of smoke dope lighting, a lot of modulizations. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like it's just and and, and it's like they wanna because you know if you have certain certain beliefs like let's say you know you're a church that's isn't really lgbtq affirming mm, mm -hmm. that's a, that's another thing like they you know they some churches want to play this game of like yeah we're we're cool we accept everybody right. and then you know you get try to get into leadership it's like yeah. oh man we don't do the gay stuff yeah oh shit yeah why, why did you say anything before yes. so it's like you playing this game of trying to be accepted by culture you know mm. I, I it's uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Oh Lord, <laughs> so many thoughts. Uh, I mean, yes, they're they're as much as we kind of uh, scoff at this whole conversation around like generational, oh the millennials or oh whatever. Um, there is this real felt fear in the church at large um, because of this like statistical reality that you have an increasing number of of the the younger generation who are leaving um, church affiliation or, or like the religious um, movement and you know, like, on some level to me, it makes sense that the, the, like, response to that is like, oh, well, what are, what do the young people want? Let's, <laughs> let's give them that. Um, with, uh, Smoke machines. Right, right. baby. Right, which really misses the heart of what, um, I think our generation really is hungry for which is a place that is safe to be authentic uh, a place that really cultivates a sense of genuine concern and uh, attunement to justice and wholeness and us mm -hmm. being good decent people which you know some people might hear that and kind of scoff and be like oh that's just like moral secularism or whatever but like those sound like gospel <laughs> god callings like let's be good <laughs> decent people yeah. um no but <sighs> therapeutic moralistic yeah but um you know i have a a real significant concern for what the church is going to look like going forward and I was I was just in a meeting with some colleagues the other day and I shared that when I okay so like my lens through which I read a lot of scripture uh, is 2nd Corinthians 5 and it talks about how God has this ministry of reconciliation. That all of God's work in and through the world throughout time and history is this like consistent work 
towards wholeness. Anything that, that is quote-unquote God's kingdom or like God's work here in the world has this trajectory towards redemption and wholeness and shalom. Um, and so it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that that's what God's kingdom is about and that we are invited to be participants in God's ministry of reconciliation. And so like my understanding then is that any work that brings about wholeness is sacred work. This is why I can't get behind a, a dualistic way of seeing the world. There, In my mind, there is no sacred versus secular because it's all incarnate. It's we are sold, S-O-U-L-E-D, beings, but we are embodied. And so like anything, this is why I think it is so crucial to pursue avenues of healing that deal with our body and deal with our mind and deal with our relationships because it's it's not an either or sacred secular thing um it's so very holistic mm-hmm. now the what is tricky about this is that that pushes up against thousands of years of tradition right where we say like we're going to really focus on our hearts mm-hmm. and our souls on a sunday and then it all kind of goes out the window midweek. Yeah. Um, so my concern for the church is that, traditionally speaking, we don't have room to do this this sacred, holistic work of caring for our souls and caring for our bodies and our minds and our relationships inside the walls of the church. Mm-hmm. And what I think I see is, yeah, we, we talk about the, the nons, the people who are not affiliated with a church or re- with religion, but that doesn't mean that they're inherently less spiritual beings yeah, or that yeah, they're not, exactly, exactly. Um, like, I'm in a 12-step program and what I see in those rooms is a just an abundance of spiritual growth yeah. and maturity and resilience. And we have to have a framework in which we can live these things out, this ministry of reconciliation, and it doesn't necessarily utilize the language that the church has used. That Mm -hmm. you still have people who are very spiritually hungry and who are spiritually active, but it doesn't necessarily take place in the walls of a church on a Sunday. And what my concern is going forward is that I don't know... When I look at what we see happening more and more and more often is that you have fewer people participating. You have fewer people who are um, giving uh, financially. That, that to me says that the church is not sustainable, right? Like yeah. we're, we're statistically and effectively dying out. But that does not mean that the work of God is dying out. It's still taking place. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that it's taking place in the same ways. And so it kind of leaves us with this question to those of us in the church or who want to identify, you know, like within the walls of the church, like what is more important, this understanding of tradition 
and that we have to use this language mm -hmm. and we have to meet in this kind of building at this time on this day of the week yeah. or are we going to be imaginative and creative mm -hmm. um in doing something new yeah yeah we're, and frankly i mean it's not even a choice like the way that the church looks today is, is nothing like how i look back in you know rome and it, i mean it's just mm -mm. the way that we speak everything that we do the, the traditions that we have today i mean it, it, so it's always going to change oh yes it's always uh I guess the word I'm looking for is malleable, you know, depending upon the context that you're in. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that you're right. That's something that um, journalist Jonathan Mayer talks about. He wrote a book called uh, Learning God from Scratch, mm. where he talks about like we have to change the language that's mm -hmm. used. And you see the change. You see even in scripture, language changes. You right. Know, for example, like sin. I think sin in Old Testament was viewed as weight, mm. like weight mm -hmm. or heaviness. And but then when you move into um, uh, the New Testament, sin is kind of viewed as debt, mm -hmm. which you know, <laughs> right? The you know the 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 socialist thing right, right. has a certain. That's that's a whole nother thing, right. but exactly. yeah, you know the lang the language changes and it, right. and it evolves. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've seen it mm -hmm. in some of the conversations that I've had. You know, I'm not the best representative for uh, mm -hmm. JC, but <laughs> but there, I I've you can't just use the same old like right. language. You know what I mean? Right. And I come out of right. like you know the old school Southern Baptist mm -hmm. church or whatever, or, you know, non-denominational, which non-denominational yeah, just means Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the, I can't use those same, I can't use that no. same rhetoric. I can't no. use that same language. And so I'm finding myself now when I'm talking to younger people right, or people who aren't necessarily, you know, in the walls of the church right. like that, I have to modify like, the way that I talk about Jesus, the way that I talk sure. about scripture and stuff like yeah. that. And I'm having, I'm having to be creative, like on my feet. Which Absolutely. Sometimes work and sometimes it kind of, right. you know, right. But, um, I think that you're right. And I think a lot of people are finding themselves in, in that, in that space. So, yeah. Well, and to me, this gets down to a, a way of being or a, um, a relational practice that I don't think that we talk about enough, and that is compassion. This isn't just an issue of language and semantics where, like, we just need to sound hip and trendy, or um, we need to, you know, be cool and get people to come in because we use you know, the message Bible or something like that. Um, this is about relational attunement, like the work of transformation, the work of healing and, um, you know, beauty coming from ashes. This is not an instantaneous thing. This is something that takes place over the course of time and in the context of relationships. Mm -hmm. And so when we are able to communicate with and to people in a way that is, um, sensitive to who and how people are that is what is meaningful it's not about using language as a hook to draw people in this is about legitimately and genuinely seeing 
what we might call like the other in our uh, capacity to like grow in empathy and mm. and understand and so that's a lot of work though why can't we just tell people what to do it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work uh, it is a lot of work and you know what's oh i'm about to get angry <laughs> do you know why i think we don't do this why? is because it forces us to take responsibility for our own damn lives mm. it is such an inherently in just a deeply ingrained practice of fixating so codependently on other people mm. and trying to micromanage how someone else is doing for our own sense of okayness and you know what's like really exhausting is like taking care of your own shit <laughs> and like yeah. it, if you're forced to really deal with the reality that like hey i do not have control over this person and I do not have any way of ensuring that they believe XYZ mm -hmm. and that you know I'm gonna be able to get them to change their mind about this issue or whatever it is I'm forced to sit in my own discomfort <laughs> Yeah. And my own powerlessness and the, my own, like, I am not Godness, yeah. And that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but that's actually, like, really redeeming work because, hey, that pulls me out of this spirit of, like, idolatry and, mm -hmm. and you know, power or an attempt at control. <sighs> yeah. That works me up, though. But, but no, it, it's not about trying to convince other people or micromanage you know what they believe or do this this really forces us to to take responsibility yeah. for our own actions and beliefs and then just like accept our powerlessness well, why can't we tell people what to do <laughs> <laughs> i don't know he just he's just, he's just, he's just stubborn yeah um, yeah i mean you're you're right like it is i mean that's a scary space it is it, that's a scary space because i was just thinking about like not that long i was thinking about freedom mm -hmm. and i was um I'm, I'm reminded of uh you you, uh, you know who cornell west is of course mm -hmm. and uh he was on joe rogan's podcast and he was talking he quoted this author dostoyevsky and he was mm -hmm. talking about how most human beings are just like afraid of freedom mm. <clears throat> which is so counterintuitive because yeah. we talk about freedom liberty freedom liberty, right freedom, right all this type, like autonomy and all this other yeah. stuff all the time but if you really think about it like if we really believed in freedom like when when you're actually when you're actually free it 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 forces you into this place of like uncertainty mm -hmm. you know yes. what I mean? it forces you into this place of uncertainty and it 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 causes you you like you have to be like um it's vulnerable vulnerable and introspective and right. creative right whereas you know we can just sit whereas you know with a lot of stuff we can just, oh we can just sit back and just let you know the people in control just take care of everything you know, right wow that sure sounds relaxing if we have a bunch of you know millionaires take care of everything right. or, or politicians take care of everything rather than us like banding together and really trying to think how how can we how can we make the world look different mm -hmm. you know and i'll and i mean that's that's the truth like damn it does really sound really relaxing to just let all of these you know pe the again the people in control mm -hmm. just take care of everything and mm -hmm. i just work come home sit on my ass and watch uh you know netflix all day <laughs> right. it's pretty yeah i think there's a lot of fear that drives 
our our relationship to um, our theology, and then in light of that, like the way that we relate to each other. Because um, yes, it's more relaxing, but I think there's also something that is like <sighs> we have a clearer understanding of what the expectation is if you give me a set list of rules and i know well if i mess up here then i've i've messed up and um i think that's why it it becomes so much easier or or like easy to default to like a letter of the law Mm -hmm. um and and to just have it be about rules um and then that that's what we like regurgitate onto Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. um and it becomes something that we use to gauge like their okayness or their righteousness or lack thereof or whatever um and so we yeah man that's like kind of messed up when you think about it it's like we're we're invited into this like liberation and freedom and mystery and all of this space to to just kind of like be curious and what we want to do we just find ourselves like falling back into this like very shame reinforced and perpetuating thing you know what i find so disturbing just like as i get older and just learn more stuff like that and meet more people and just trying to be like reflective and just think on people and think on myself is mm-hmm. man we are just really really fucked up like like i just the like just the just we're just so fucked up and we're so complicated and complex and Mm -hmm. nobody's just one thing (laughs) you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. we're just we're just so just all over the damn place and it's just like it it seems like so so much of life the systems the structures we have in place it, it's like it it almost always come back comes back to this weird our own twisted and petty and traumatic inner lives mm-hmm. you know what i mean like so much of this so much of what's going on in politics and society mm-hmm. is just a reflection of just we can't understand that we don't have control we're afraid you know, we're scared all the time. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we, so much of this stuff is just built off of a scarcity mindset. Oh yeah. Of yeah. just, re, of just material. Mm-hmm. And it's not getting any better yeah. under the, 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 the economic system that we have, mm-hmm. the impending environmental collapse. Right. And all of the things I'm saying right now, and a, and a huge thing for me that I'm starting to understand, and I think this is where the Buddhists get it right, mm-hmm. it's just the mass levels of delusion mm. and just blatant ignorance. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's really, it. a lot of the times it just scares the shit out of sure. me. Sure. Because it's just like, it, 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 you... It, like the inability to accept the truth about yourself mm-hmm. about all of this stuff even um like uh, there's this um this uh, author uh ksa layman he wrote mm-hmm. this book called heaviest it's his memoir mm-hmm. and i think what he does so powerfully in his book is even even when we say we're 
loving people and this is with the church too mm -hmm. we say we're loving people but that's rarely ever what it is mm -hmm. that's not it, it even if it is love it's not just love imperfect sure. it's it's just even our even the way that we think about loving people is just this twisted yeah backward stuff yeah and even even having the ability to to understand that some of the people who's closest to you some of the people who you love the most you love that love you the most mm -hmm. you will you have the you have the potential to do some of the most mm. horrendous damage mm -hmm. to them ever like no one can hurt you the way your mom your dad your lover yeah. you know your partner yeah can can hurt you yeah uh, and so all all of that stuff all of that weird psychological emotional mm -hmm. existential stuff is just at the bottom or at the core of all of this shit yeah that makes up society and i'm just like man bro like Maybe it should all. Maybe we should just. The plan is just going to implode. Man. Right, right. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. You know. You well, know. I think it, it's especially when you list it all out. Damn. Uh, no. I think about this way too much. Maybe I'm just like too much of like a nihilist and a depressive. Nah. People suck. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually appreciate that because I feel like, you know, I, I feel like the church has a tendency to swing the other side um, because we don't want to actually take responsibility for things. And so we mm -hmm. try to be overly optimistic. Um, I had this one professor in seminary who he always used the phrase oppressive happiness. Mm, wow. and and <laughs> i that's one of my biggest pet peeves so you know all that to say i think there's something to be said about like looking honestly mm -hmm. at kind of the state of our our being um and i think that can be so overwhelming um and mm -hmm. even knowing where to begin and you know as someone who's an empath and in very attuned to people and to the world my son was watching planet earth yesterday and there was a snip on this episode of like this mother whale who was carrying her dead baby calf in plastic because it had gotten caught and i'm all like <laughs> and maybe that's a little too rough but like you know i look at that and i'm like how do we how do we why is the whole earth not clean right now like <laughs> how do we combat this yeah. how do what do we do and i think it's so natural to to get so deeply overwhelmed mm -hmm. and that's where um i recognize that like you know what the whole world is not my responsibility but my world is mm -hmm. And my, my personal, like, so what things do I have control over? What things are actually within my sense of agency? Um, but that's scary too, because it is. when you reflect on it, it's so small. It is so small, but you think about the ways that our lives have these ripple effects. I mean, we, th we see, you know, our interaction with 
co-worker Joe Schmo as like, well, he's just Joe Schmo, yeah. but like maybe he is a father to the next right. whoever, and like our relating to them in some particular way uh, enables or or um, inhibits his way of relating to his kid in some particular way, and so it's like we're all connected and we're all the same. The other thing that I kind of take comfort in is like, yeah, we, we list out all of what is in jeopardy and at risk and wrong in the world. And I can't help but think, you know, there's what Ecclesiastes says. There's nothing new under the sun. Like we are all still just people. And if you read through many of Absolutely. Yeah, I love I've been I've been reading that for the past couple of months. That's why I'm in this like state of just like sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fleeting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have I have a tattoo of this on my leg because it is such a a beautiful invitation to us to be present mm-hmm. and to make the most of what we're doing right now. Yeah. Because um, at the end of the day, we're all we're all still human, and the story. It has, you know, maybe it has a different setting. Maybe it has a different conflict. But it's like, we got a lot of the same characters. Yeah. We got a lot of the same plot. You still have the powerful who are oppressing the weak and under-resourced. And you see the assholes in power profiting. And you see the people who, you know, are beneath them who are hurting. and. Um, and so, like, where does that call us to here and now? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I I think, though, it's like, for me, it's just a very centering, it's a centering practice, or it's a centering thing to meditate on. It's not like, how am I going to go into the world and just totally flip everything upside down, and now I'm going to fix it all? Like, that... Upside down kingdom, baby. If that doesn't tell you a little bit about what my tendencies are, then I don't know what does. But um, for me, it really is like, okay, well, what what does my world look like? What do I naturally have agency over? How can I show up in wholeness and, and health and with humility and invite, you know, God in, into the work that I'm doing mm-hmm. here? and Or rather... God's already in the work that we're doing, but, like, how do we become mindful of that, and how do we come alongside what God is already doing? Yeah, that's... uh, Let's turn from the the depressing (laughs) existential Let's shift gears here. Yeah, (laughs) and go to something just as traumatic. Okay, okay. Um, (laughs) No, but that's, 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 that's real. I mean, all you can... All you can do is what you can do. You know what I mean? And you would, like... None of us are like super world changers, but mm. know, um, but, but I can dream about it. Yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. We all can. But, um, <laughs> so you started a website called Faithful Reimagination. Yes, and you you had <clears throat> two posts on there that I enjoyed. Uh, you had one uh, about you know making sure to 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 keep up with your commitments and mm-hmm. the promises that you make to others and then you had one mm. in which you um <clears throat> you um it was simultaneously like a uh, you writing about your own experiences coming out mm-hmm. um as uh, 
even as you're a minister, mm -hmm. and, um, a letter of encouragement to your LGBTQ yeah. uh, uh, um, family. Yeah. And uh, also to those who are, you know, in opposition to mm -hmm. um, uh, queer liberation and stuff like yeah. that. And so I just I just wanted to ask you like your experiences with that and you know but maybe first is what you know what why did you feel the need to create a website and and you know what mm. you're trying to I guess faithfully reimagine in that yeah way? and you know what since you since you've come out publicly and you're a minister what what is what have you experienced <laughs> yeah uh, it, yeah. Well, did you know today's National Coming Out Day? I had no clue. The irony. Yo, this <laughs> The irony. Um, I think it is. That's what I kept seeing online. <laughs> oh, well. if the so if the internet said it, yeah. It's true. It must be true. Um, yeah, I mean, I will preface this with, especially in light of, like, coming out and what it's like to be, you know, closeted or partially closeted. It's like, sometimes that is the safest and most necessary thing. So mm -hmm. I want to preface anything that I say with that. Yeah. Um, so faithful reimagination, you know, I mentioned earlier that my concern for the future of the church is that we have to find a way to be relevant, right? Yeah. And in this era of the American church, which is so um, polarized and highly politicized. It it's very sad to me the ways that the media and just kind of what what we see happening in the world is that there's this um, association that like to be quote unquote Christian is to be synonymous with any number of things um to be conservative fundamentalist bigoted racist all of these things um and uh what what i find to be true is that the easiest way to not other someone in the verb sense, like us versus them, or, oh, that's these people. Um, when we do that, we dehumanize people because we refuse to see their humanity. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to see someone's humanity is to hear their story. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that is what I hope to begin and, and continue to do on that forum and in that website is to, I mean, not just share some of my story, but to do some of this where... You know, it's easy to say, oh, the gays have their agenda, and, <laughs> and... That always tickles me. <laughs> yeah. Because no, no, no one's doing anything in the world to try to have influence, right? Mm. Nobody, no one else has agendas. I'm sorry to cut you off. You right, know. right. <laughs> um... No, but, like, it's it's so easy to make all of these claims and assumptions about this people group that you, you know, allegedly can't understand right. when, like, if you took five minutes to listen to the number of ways that we share humanity and we yeah. we have 
families and we have a lot of shared work experiences and like all those kinds of things um it's it's a lot harder to say well all of those people are xyz so that's like one of my biggest hopes um in the work that i i would love to see there um and that's faithfulreimagination.org well, my little pitch there. Yeah, don't um, plug, plug away. <laughs> this is plug away. Um, and that's like pretty new. That's in its infancy, but I'm excited about that. Um, what is it like to be a queer person of faith in ministry? Well, in the South too. In the South. Oh. <laughs> and let's add woman. Well, yeah, yeah. Um. Because those things do, they, they matter. Yeah. Not, I'm not, um, male. I'm not hetero. So there's already, I've, yeah. I, I can tell you, you know, my own experiences about being a woman in ministry and, and how that is very interesting at times here in the South. Um, I think, I think probably something that um ruffles people's feathers um is is this (laughs) okay so for pride this year um i wore a shirt that says this queer pastor loves you Uh right Uh and you know it's june so it's like really freaking hot and so I was cute, yeah, yeah, and I, I, like, cut up the shirt and, like, tied it so it's all cute and everything, and it's, like, just a little bit off the shoulder, and I almost put the shirt on the other day to go to, like, the grocery store, and I found myself being in a heteronormative community where I'm like, ugh, I don't know if I'm going to wear this to the grocery store, and this is, this is what, I psychoanalyzed myself after the fact, and I realized, like, it's one thing for me to be a female pastor, that's kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, okay, I've never met one of those, yeah. definitely have gotten those kinds of, really? yeah, um, you know, especially if you come from, like, a Baptist tradition, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that's, it, you, when theologically, can't you can't, <laughs> I came from a church where women could not wear pants. Sure. My Did they brother, wear makeup? Yeah, they, okay. they could wear makeup, but, like, the, the women had to wear skirts. Like, that sure. was a tradition. Yeah. And even when I was younger, I was like, this is the stupid. Like, this makes no sense. But right. Whatever. Yeah. So, so my thought process was like, okay. Oh, female pastor. Wow. Um, then, and I think what pushes people's buttons is that... There is this, like, lineage, thousands of years of, of tradition that are shaped by a patriarchal society that says or implies um, that women are, are somehow more dangerous because Eve, quote-unquote, tempted Adam, right? Okay, we could unpack that, but that, that's, I'm not going to even get into all of that, but then to be a queer female pastor adds this this like explicit implication that that sounds contradictory but like a definitive implication that I am also a sexual being and that makes people uncomfortable yep. because it's one thing to have 
a pastor. It's another thing to have a pastor who's a woman, which, wow, that's progressive. But I'm, now we're going to. Y'all have sex too? Oh. <laughs> Y'all have sex too? Right. Wow. To, so to like specifically name that I'm not just a spiritual being or that I am an embodied being, mm-hmm. which being female also, mm-hmm. you, you can't escape that. Um, but to be queer also names and brings into the conversation. I'm also a sexual being. Yeah. Side note, so is everyone else. <laughs> we are all sexual beings. That is not true, y'all. If y'all pray enough and read your Bible enough, you will not be having so That is not true. Okay? <laughs> no. Y'all will not uh, You won't be tempted by the flesh. No, you Lord. What your grandma told you. <laughs> uh, so I think. <laughs> you know, we laugh, but like. This is sexual thing. But I heard that. You heard that? I mean, maybe not all of those things, but in some form or fashion, that's what we're told that, like, if you pray enough, if you don't think about things, if you whatever, then, like. Then apparently you'll never. Then you'll like somehow get rid of an inherent part of your humanity. Apparently, I don't think I could ever pray or read the Bible enough to make me be like, "Wow, <laughs> she's not fine." There's, there's not, there's not. A, I can't. I'm. I well, can't. but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's you cannot. And this is what breaks my heart is that we have subscribed to this theology that tries to reinforce and impose something that that like disintegrates it creates fracture part of who we are like if what god desires is for our wholeness then we have to address the parts of us that make us human Mm -hmm. it's it's dangerous you look at any kind of um field in psychology like disintegration is not good in the simplest terms what we want is wholeness and integration oh you're using you're turning to secular theory sure let me stop let me stop i'm gonna quit i'm gonna quit (laughs) because i know you've heard all of this stuff before sure yeah you know critical race theory Mm -hmm. wow Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm It's just all, it's, oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it just is our attempt to, to other. It's our attempt to, you know, minimize the voice of something that differs from, from where we are. But, yeah, to get back to. But I I think what you're saying was right. Like, from a psychological standpoint, I was reading something by um, the philosopher Dallas Willard. Mm -hmm. His book, um, Renovation of the Heart. And he Mm -hmm. was saying. Yeah, one of the problems with, I forgot the term that he uses, but it's like, it's exactly what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. Like, we're not in sync with with ourselves. Right. Like, it's, I forgot what term he uses, but it was perfect. And Mm. it's like, yeah, it's, it's, you're just not, you're just, you're just not in sync with yourself right. you're not in tune with yourself you're right you're um i think he calls it du- du- it's like duplicity yeah duplicity in yourself mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah well and that is le- like genuinely dangerous because that's how we end up with 
white male, hetero pastors who look a certain way on a Sunday and then, you know, they're caught trying to solicit a prostitute or, you know, viewing child pornography or something like that because there is such a profound level of disintegration. There's Mm -hmm. no framework in which someone can engage their full humanity that addresses like our spirituality and our physicality and our sexuality as something that is good and you know that god looks at that and says it is good it is beautiful it is whole um and so without that we're forced into these different you know paradigms where we just kind of compartmentalize and so you it's like yeah you become something else i remember your when i first started attending canvas like that was a big thing that you were talking about a lot. It's like bodies and mm. how the body's good and yeah. the 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 like the sensuality of the body, your senses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You you talked a lot about embodiment. Hell, that was the first time I did a meditation in church, like an embodied meditation. <laughs> right. I still and I still do meditation to this day. And yeah, I, I it is really important to get in tune with your body and I, I think there's something that even scripture talks about you know that sin lives in the members mm, you know mm-hmm. it's about your habits these uh you know your 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 reactions in, in your body mm-hmm. that keep you trapped in these cycles and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. that's that's something i'm learning more and yeah i yeah that's that's great that you that you teach about that and yeah like have have you have you gotten like a lot of pushback or whatever from like from like uh honestly so there there have definitely been some um interactions where there's been like clear pushback um but i would say honestly and i feel like this is very indicative of (laughs) that church culture that you were talking about um around like seeming wanting to be hip and trendy and like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna come out and say like you're going to hell <laughs> but i'm gonna create an environment where you think this is where you want to be but like at the end of the day can you know can you receive the elements and can you be baptized no can you be can you serve in leadership no um so that is something that we see which is so very dangerous and that's why there are organizations like church clarity that yeah. are so important oh because that is i found out about them like a couple of weeks ago from yeah. one random post yeah about this minister i can't remember from what church but mm-hmm. he's been consistently like horrible on like lgbtq issues mm-hmm. and it was it was yeah it was this this phrase of like because then because the new the new ex-gay movement right it's on the rise is like you need to the phrase is find your identity in christ right which which i forgot what i what i said it translated to i said some some (laughs) something but it was just like it it basically means like hey you can come into our community Mm -hmm. or whatever like you can take up a pew space sure money right but um other than that we're not rocking with anything else right going on right so i think the yes right um i think the resistance that i have gotten has been much more subtle and much more 
in in the form of people just disappearing um because i don't think anyone it's so much easier for someone to say like oh well the worship or oh well i didn't like that you talked about this or um i just prefer you know this kind of service it's a lot easier to say it's that than for someone to come out and openly say I don't want to go to this church because the pastor is queer then you sound kinda yeah. that that sounds that's more not why I left that's not why I left right <laughs> <laughs> that's not why I left y'all that's not why no 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 I got you um, <laughs> exposing myself that's funny no 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 um and, and I think that that's what, this is why what I want to do through Faithful Reimagination is so important to me is because we do not have the relational, emotional skill set to be able to engage in conversations with people where we aren't in total, complete, 100% agreement. Because if we had those those skills, then it would people would have the capacity to have a an awkward uncomfortable one-on-one or or two-on-one conversation where we say hey i don't really know what i feel about Mm -hmm. my pastor being queer or whatever the case is not not even just about me but i don't know what i feel about xyz let's have a conversation about it rather than oh, this makes me uncomfortable. I'm just going to kind of like Chill, yeah. ease out. And. and and I think maybe on the more progressive side too, there's some criticisms that I have because there, like there is, and, and this is just experiences that I've had on Twitter and Twitter's a hellhole. And y'all don't ever make a <laughs> Twitter page. Don't go on Twitter. I don't have one. I've escaped it. But if there's on the progressive side of things, it's like, okay, if this person isn't really sure about where they are where where what they think about sexuality mm-hmm. in terms of like how they think about god and stuff like that right. they're automatically bigots they're automatically oh yeah all this other stuff right right you know what i mean and it's like no like some sometimes people are trying to do the right. best that they can yeah to love people but they just don't know they, yeah. they just don't know how to get around tradition yeah. and scripture yeah. and all that stuff like that like we were talking about before right. and yeah and then uh, I, I, but how do you how do you balance that like how do you right because there is a lot of talk about civil conversation and stuff like mm-hmm. that and for me personally I've kind of let civility go because the people like to play games mm. you know what I mean sure because sometimes these con- sometimes conversations get into a place of like you having to negotiate your mm. humanity with somebody mm. else. And I'm just I'm just not like I'm not about to sit down sure. with some fascist or some supremacist and negotiate with them why, you know, my IQ is perfectly fine. Mm. You know what I mean? Like so to so I I, I think people sometimes use conversation and sure. civility to launch to like launder in sure these 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 very destruct very destructive right. ideas like right. i'm not gonna bargain with somebody for my humanity you exactly know, it's just like fuck you at that point. right <laughs> preach so, man i don't know i don't know yeah. how you deal with it i think that there's <laughs> you're a far kinder sen- uh, sensitive human being to me mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I think that, like, this, this is, this is tricky, because I think that there are people who are, who are in that space, that liminal space, where genuinely are trying to discern, like, what is the right thing? Mm -hmm. My tradition says this. Mm -hmm. My whole life, all of these voices of authority have said this. Mm -hmm. And yet I have this person who I love and know who is saying something different. And one of the things that I tried to really speak from my heart in one of those posts you were talking about is just, I, I wish that I could convey to straight, more traditional Christians who are in that liminal space or who, who maybe like resist the stories of queer people of faith. I wish that I could show like, you know, who has studied scripture the most when it comes to some of these passages and like, how do we reconcile the people who have studied it are people, queer people. Because we have gotten to this place of, like, it feels like life or death. Like, what do I choose? Do I choose a a sense of wholeness? Or do I cut that part of me off and live with chronic anxiety and depression and thoughts of suicide? And, like, what, you know, what do I do? The people, I wish I could share how many people have gone through years years of study and exegesis and counsel and therapy and like also in prayer jeez like the prayer of just like god remove this thorn from my side take this cup from me like no don't talk about that no people don't talk about that queer people like the the prayers that you would hear if you were in on someone's mind so i wish that i could like share that and I think the work that I'm trying to do with faithful reimagination and and sharing stories is that if you heard the stories I think that the empathy would would grow if there is that willingness now discerning whether there is genuine willingness is a totally different and so like this is where my understanding of what it is to be in a, a place of privilege, whether that's me as a white woman or me as a like straight presenting, because I'm not like I'm fairly femme looking um, or presenting. Um, but if a a straight person really wants to engage in the story work of someone who has experienced oppression or marginalization socially because of their sexual or gender identity, then it is incumbent upon them to, to take on, to hold space, to give up some of their power and privilege by creating space for this other person to use their voice. Mm -hmm. And so you, that, (laughs) that's hard for people in any position of privilege to do is to, surrender some of that and to say I will I will learn Mm -hmm. I want to be curious I want to be I will put myself in a position where I am possibly not right wow so I have to actually listen to women (laughs) hell yes (laughs) yes yeah yeah and so that's hard you know and for me it's it's about like I have to listen a lot more closely to what people's actions are saying versus mm-hmm. what their words are saying. 
yeah patterns of behavior mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. yeah that's great and um i guess the last the last thing i'll ask and you know uh before we uh you know go i don't want to take you know take up too much of your time it's been an awesome conversation yeah i love this it's um, good where do you just speaking like locally like here in the context of like houston texas where do you what do you what do you where do you see the church going because it seemed like some of the churches i've been to like they have this like they talk about like oh there's a revival going on and in uh in <laughs> in houston and stuff mm -hmm. like that and you know, I've I've heard stories from people in other contexts and people mm -hmm. in other places where there's there's always a revival, like it's like it's, it's a perpetual like like I'd like revival to meet these on. people. <laughs> like so so what do you what do you see out of out of the church uh, uh, here in Houston? Like mm -hmm. you know, positive negatives. You know, is there a revival going mm -hmm. on? Like what what do you what do you think the future is for her, for us here? You know? Yeah, I think. Um... Like, there, there are definitely a number of communities that I just have such an appreciation for and the work that that they're doing, not just, like, spiritually, but um, I think I'm witnessing, at least in my circle of colleagues, the number of people who, um, with spiritual authority, are also doing this work of engaging our political system and mm. advocating... Um, for you know politicians who are going to do the work of yeah. social political equity yeah. um i this is an area okay i'm sorry uh and and this is admittedly an area where i know that i could grow like a great deal but where i see um what i see like the future of local churches in houston is kind of like reflective of what I see throughout the country. Maybe like slightly different because we're technically here in the Bible Belt in the yeah. South. And so there's like, because that is our context, I know there is going to be a, a um, level of, you know, conservative, more fundamentalist, Southern Baptist kind of... Um, flavor that's still going to remain present and, and because like this is a context where it, it benefits people and where you have that demographic yeah. and that that is what it is um but i see the future of the church as i said earlier like i don't think the big c church is dying it just mm -hmm. might take a different shape and mm -hmm. it might not look like the mm -hmm. traditional church yeah. And what that means to me is, like, I have, I'm beginning this exciting journey of doing some work that is more collaborative and more um, spiritual and not necessarily religious. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're going to see a lot of things that are happening outside the walls of the church. I think you're going to see the way that people do church is a, a lot smaller and more intimate and authentic. Mm -hmm. I don't think that... Like, the mega churches are still going to be there. It's kind of like what we see, like, economically. You're still going to have the mega church. Mm -hmm. um, but all of them in between, middle class, is kind of dying out. And so you're either going to have people leave altogether, go to the mega churches, or the create these more like house church type 
things. Do I know that that's actually going to happen? I don't know, but that's like that's what you're saying. That's what I feel. I mean, that's this is what I that's what I hear in the stories of people that I know. It is this place of and this is a whole other topic that I feel very passionately about, but that like spiritual deconstruction, you have yeah. a huge swath of people who are navigating that. Yeah. And their response in those seasons is usually to step away entirely yeah. or to find these different avenues that are safe for that kind of deconstruction and curiosity and doubt. And I feel very passionate about cultivating those kinds of spaces. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what is going to last. Now, it might not look super successful and it might not look, you know, like a mega church. But is that really the litmus test for like what spiritual effectiveness and success is? Yeah. No. Not to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you mean the more, you know, more people, isn't No. No. You mean we actually have to, um, uh, actually engage? <laughs> yes. Okay, just sit, just sit mm -mm. somewhere. Mm -mm. Around millions, thousands mm -mm. of people. No. No. I don't think that's where the work of... That's not where transformation actually takes place. I just want to watch Netflix, though. Bro, you can do that at home. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, that's... Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. It's like, what what do people want at a church? What, so what are what are some, like... What are, what are some, like, maybe, like, negative things you see, like, maybe in this context, like, you don't think are, that are, that are helpful? Sure. I mean, what you were describing earlier about that, um, I don't know if there's a, well, okay, the term is intentionally ambiguous. This practice that, that churches have mm -hmm. of shying away from hard topics, like, racism ra in people and specifically um lgbtq inclusion and i'm not saying inclusion as in you can attend there's a stark difference between um allowing people to attend your service mm -hmm. um versus allowing people to serve uh to lead and to be able to partake in things like baptism and um you know dedicating your child and marriages like is the church going to marry you and your partner are they going to honor and celebrate your humanity in that regard or are they simply going to say sure come give us your money and you can listen to this pretty jesus music i don't know about you that that's doesn't cut it for me um, and so, and that's not just in regard to sexuality. That's also our capacity to name things like racism and what this freaking administration is doing and the harm that we see throughout, um, just the world, the migrant caravan, uh, our freaking attachment to guns. Oh my um, and the reason that it's hard to do that here in this context is because you, I mean, Houston is much more liberal now than what it, yeah, I mean, yes. I've witnessed over the past 10, 15 years, yeah. very different, yeah. right? Yeah. But you still have people paying the big money yeah. who 
if you name something that is going to make them uncomfortable, they're going to pull that funding. Yeah. And that to me is a really frustrating and God, it's damning. It's, it's just, we're shooting ourselves in the foot yeah. because we are idolizing and making uh, people's money and people with power. We, we are idolizing them mm-hmm. um, rather than doing the work of what God calls us to, which yeah. is reconciliation and wholeness and dismantling mm-hmm. power. And so, yeah. Oh man, that's great. Well, this has been awesome. Yeah. This has been awesome. It's uh it's good to see you, good to um talk to you and about these issues and it's just it's just great and man, just just keep going, man. Thanks. Just keep going and you know, any way that I can help by I don't know, I don't really have any skills, but <laughs> Yeah you do. I'm gonna hit you up. Yeah. Yes. So, um just go ahead and um well, normally, normally I end with like with like two questions. Like the the first one is, what are some books that you would recommend that that have been influential to you? Mm. Um, and the second one is, what um, what sort of because you know if people haven't heard about now, you are very you are very thoughtful, very just intelligent person. Thank you. What are some intellectual habits and practices that you have? Mm. Mm. Oh, Lord. Okay, so at any given time, I have about 20 books that I am mid-reading. mid, mid um, So I'm trying to think. So theologically speaking, for anyone who has is in that, that like place of deconstructing, especially around the subject of sexuality, um... There are a number of books. Refocusing My Family is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a memoir uh, about a woman who was raised in... Um, her, her dad is a focus on the family executive. And so, like, her journey of coming out and, and being kind of cast out of her family. Um, do you have, like... Do you do notes at the bottom of your... Yes, okay, I'll Absolutely. give you a list because... Now under pressure, I'm like, oh Lord! No, um, and then any, any, um, like Walter Brueggemann is in a First Testament scholar, and he has totally changed my understanding of the First Testament or the Old Testament, um, and the ways that like the whole canon of Scripture can like be pretty uniform in its message overall like it's a, a a whole narrative that's just kind of connected together um but his book uh sabbath as resistance yeah, so good yeah, so that. so good yeah. and uh barbara brown taylor um uh, yeah, I know. Okay. walking in darkness really really good and those are she does a lot to kind of um give give you a perspective or a paradigm that is non-dualistic mm-hmm. oh and father richard Rohr. oh yeah richard anything Rohr by richard Rohr. Yeah. yeah um so those are like more like authors mm-hmm. which is fine and i guess this kind of goes into the second question of like what practices do i have um 
I would say Brené Brown. Um, her Braving the Wilderness is my favorite book of hers. And that's just about, like, gaining, growing this capacity to, to be our full, whole self as an individual. To be deeply rooted in our sense of self and the ways that that's liberating in our, our ability to relate to others who maybe don't mm -hmm. see our full self or accept who we are as our full selves. Um, her, her work is like very instrumental to me, but in terms of practices like reading, uh, journaling for me, I, I guess what I would say is like knowing your own self, knowing the way that you learn and chasing after those things, knowing, um, what your wounds are so that you can seek healing and then for me, like part of my, my own woundedness is like feeling like I have to do more to be seen as worthy or loved. Mm -hmm. And so a very radical practice of mine is to simply be, is mm -hmm. to rest, um, to rest and to play. Those are very hard practices yeah. that are most life-giving to me. You know, any kind of self-care is like actually very challenging because yeah. those are the things that afterwards you're like damn that felt really good but like to get off your butt and to actually do it is like uh -huh. yeah so yeah we mean real self-care not yeah you know drinking yourself into a stupor and well no you know, <laughs> maybe, man, i take that one off I'll, I'll take that you know, you know that might be some self-care to each his own yeah <laughs> to each but, your um, own so go ahead and just just plug away where where can people find your work what, you know yeah. people engage with you you know absolutely so um, as I pitched earlier faithful www.faithfulreimagination.org that's re r e imagination um, and I have an Instagram account under the same name and title my name's Ashley those are those are it for right now but. And if you're out there looking for a place that is safe and and free for you to just be as you are, you don't have to agree with us, you don't have to even really like the church, you know, we're pretty we're pretty quirky and we definitely don't do things outside the box and we're real small and intimate, but um, you'll find me on Sundays at 2515 Wa Drive at uh, Canvas Church, Houston. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been great. It has been. This has been great. This is good. Uh, so, y'all, just um, thank everyone for listening. Thank you, um, Ashley, for willing to be on and talk. And, Anytime. You know, I want to work with you more in the future. And um, But, guys, you know where to find me. Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, uh, SoundCloud itunes google play you know like rate subscribe tell people spread the word and uh just thank you so much for everyone who's been listening i have freaking listeners in mexico and in india I, yes it's crazy um but just thank you guys so much and this has been another episode of pathfinder i'm your host demetrius and y'all take care until next time